Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for bringing your people to your house to sing praises to you, to give back to you, uh, to, to fellowship with one another under your banner of love, and to hear from your word. We thank you that you are so much our salvation, our foundation, our hope, all that we are is because of you. So Lord, we come before you, we, before you and we, be, we, become, we come before uh, your word uh, to see what you have for us this morning. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of feel-good Cinderella sports stories out there where a team will go from being incredibly unsuccessful and then under the right leadership make the playoffs or even go to the championship. But a, in a uh, 2012 article published on BleacherReport.com, there is a story of an athlete named Bruce Irvin that's beyond any other sports story I've heard. Irvin grew up in Atlanta, Georgia and lived a very hard life. When he was a sophomore in high school, his bad grades made him ineligible to play high school football. By the time Irvin was a junior in high school, he dropped out and lived an aimless life on the streets. Within a short period of time, Irvin was dealing drugs for a couple of years and spent some time in jail for robbery. Irvin's life would have continued to go down more and more of a destructive path until a friend was arrested for moving cocaine. That friend told, told Irvin that he had incredible football talent and needed to do whatever he needed to do to make that his living. At that point, Irvin knew that pursuing football was his only way out of the life that he was living. In 2007, after some encouragement from a local football coach who also saw a lot of talent in him, Irvin earned his GED. Irvin eventually made his way to Mount San Antonio College in California and was able to play football for their team. After Irvin notched 16 sacks and 72 tackles at the defensive end position, people started to take notice of this junior college athlete. Before long, Irvin was receiving offers from Division I schools, and he chose to transfer to West Virginia University and their Mountaineers football team. During his college career with West Virginia, Irvin totaled 22 and a half sacks. That number, along with his impressive showing at the NFL Combine, continued to turn heads. And in 2012, Irvin was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft at number 15 overall by the Seattle Seahawks, signing a four-year, $9.3 million contract. If anyone remembers, the Seattle Seahawks won their one and only Super Bowl victory only two years later in 2014. And I checked. Bruce Irvin played outside line, linebacker for the Seahawks in that victory, earning him a Super Bowl ring. Six years before that, though, no one thought a kid named Bruce Irvin from Atlanta, Georgia, would be profitable for any group, much less an NFL team. But the kid that wasn't doing anything but destroying his life on the streets of Atlanta ended up proving himself an incredibly valuable asset in helping a team accomplish what every NFL team seeks to achieve, a championship victory. 
Coming fresh off of service Sunday, last Sunday, I want to revisit 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18 this morning before we jump back into the Gospel of John next week and talk about the beauty, responsibility, and importance of being an invested part of the body of Christ and his church. Paul describes in our passage this morning that the kind of success story we opened with is exactly what God created the church to be. That no matter who you are, every single person is an invaluable asset to the growth and movement of the body of Christ and to the furthering of the kingdom of the, uh, of the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Paul's words to a Jewish and Roman world were one's earthly socioeconomic status, race, and ethnicity were constantly being brought up as reminders to them are every much as important, valuable, and meaningful as they are today. Paul's words to a world where people were always being told they weren't good enough are just as important, valuable, and meaningful as they are today. They are the most unifying words in existence for the only basis for God's uh, family is the blood of Jesus. That's it. The only basis is trust put in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. The only basis is adoption uh, of, of adoption into God's family is God showing no favoritism based on anything having to do with us. The only basis is that when God looks at us, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ covering us. We read this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Because of this impartial justification based only on faith and trust in the blood of Jesus for salvation, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Time and time again, this is what we read, that God does not have favorites or show favoritism towards anyone based on their past or past sin or parents or culture or socioeconomic status or religious background or gender or race or skin color or ethnicity or language spoken. We are all the same. We are all born sinners and sin until the day we die. 
Only based on trust in the blood of his son does God adopt and welcome any of us into his family and pour out his blessings on us and make us a fellow heir with Christ. Because of that, we have instruction time and time again, very similar to this. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. If God doesn't see anyone as superior or inferior based on who they are as humans, then we as his children certainly must not. Not only because he doesn't do it, but why also must we not? Because, it is, because doing so is an offense and an affront to Almighty God. Almighty God is one. He is three members of the Trinity as one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God by nature, power, and essence. They all exist, communicate, and relate to each other perfectly. While there is mutual submission in role and position, all three members of the Trinity are equal in value and worth. Not one of them is inferior or superior in worth to another. As such, all three members of the Trinity were present and involved in the creation of the universe, and most importantly, in the creation of man and woman. And what did all three members do? Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So, if there is no partiality among the members of the Trinity, then being made in his image means there is no partiality among those he created in his image, which includes who? Every single human who has ever existed. See, it was part of who we originally were to not show any partiality between any of us. So what happened? Sin entered the picture, and the curse of sin spread to all humankind, and the curse of favoritism and discrimination and concepts of superiority and inferiority in value spread to all humankind. And sadly, we still very much deal with the effects of the curse of sin all the time today. This is what I want to clearly get across, clearly and blatantly from scripture. Discrimination, concepts of superiority and inferiority and value and favoritism are all not from God. God has nothing to do with any of that. All of that is instead connected to sin and the sinfulness of humanity. Natural or conditioned biases are directly connected to our sin nature and are therefore evil. When we put our faith and trust in the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf, we also have to recognize that he put to death concepts and actions in connection with discrimination. Since that is sin, it was also put to death on the cross. Since that is connected to our sin nature, we need to be casting that off daily and asking the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and replace that sin nature with Holy Spirit nature. We need to ask God to take off of us the old nature and clothe us 
with a new nature. Getting rid of discrimination is a spiritual war. There is nothing about God or having to do with how he does anything that has anything to do with with discrimination. Therefore, discrimination of any kind is anti-God. Who loves everything having to do with anti-God? The enemy of our souls. Therefore, discrimination needs to be something we pray against just as much as we pray against everything else connected to the current tide of evil and darkness in this world. And we need to put on the full armor of God to protect us against thinking and acting in a discriminatory way just as much as we need to do that against any other sin we struggle with. It's not going to go away unless we treat it that way. Just as God is actively using our salvation based on the death and resurrection of Jesus to redeem every aspect of our lives, this is no exception. After everything else in the end times is completed and everyone has either been glorified or judged and thrown into the lake of fire, the new heavens and new earth will be created. Everything will be a return to Eden, but even better. And because this time we will be glorified and have glorified bodies. That's where eternity will begin. Every single one of the spiritual gifts that we're given by the, Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit is a partial foretaste of this new earth. The gift of prophecy is a partial foretaste of full knowledge and communication with God. The gift of healing is a partial foretaste of our glorified bodies, completely free from disease, pain, and death. The gift of tongues, or supernaturally speaking earthly languages you don't natively know, is a partial foretaste of being around people from every tribe, every nation, every language, all glorifying God together as one for all of eternity. As such, it should come as absolutely no surprise then that God created the church to be a partial redemption of the unity of being made in the image of God. We read this in Revelation. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, one voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's family is made up of people from every background, language, ethnicity, race, past, everything. Anything and everything. We will fully witness the unity that only comes from salvation found in Jesus on the first day of eternity. But for now, God has given us a glimpse at that, a foretaste of what that will be like. That foretaste is called the body of Christ. The church That is the theological foundation for Paul's practical instruction about each of our functions in the body of Christ, the church. In Paul's day, that unity was seen in the description of those believers who were ethnically and culturally Jewish and those believers who were ethnically and culturally 
everything else, Gentiles. It was seen in the, in the description of those enslaved in an earthly sense and those who were free in an earthly sense. None of that mattered in the eyes of God, and in fact, each background brought its own unique view, understanding, skill set, and spiritual gifts that were entirely beneficial to the church. Have you ever thought about that? God created the church to be made up of every race, ethnicity, and culture, and language. The church and our church needs people of every race, ethnicity, culture, and language. That's the beauty of it. We need every races, ethnicities, cultures, and languages unique view, understanding, skill set, strength, and gifts as they are all entirely beneficial to the church. We need them to grow spiritually and to grow closer to the founder of the church and whose body we really are. In addition, God created the church to be made up of people from every earthly socioeconomic status. The earthly status has no bearing on the church family, but every earthly status brings its own unique view, understanding, skill set, strength, and gifts. Those who have little in a material sense bring the immeasurable wealth of faith, understanding, life experience, and gifts that are entirely beneficial to the church's growth. Those who have more in a material sense must recognize who that is from and use it to generously go above and beyond to further God's kingdom with it. They also have a wealth of faith, understanding, life experience, and gifts that are entirely beneficial to the church's growth. We are all needed. We all have a place and a role to play. We all have something to give. Why? Because in our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says we all make up Christ's body and he has a part for all of us. He has something for all of us to do and help the body function properly. Not only are we all one in faith and baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as verse 13 is clear about, but we are all one in function and purpose. We all have to rely on each other in order to, for the body to take another step forward. Imagine if the brain sent a nerve signal to the foot and leg and said, take a step, and the foot and leg said, nah, I'm good, I don't want to. No matter what the brain did, the body wouldn't be able to physically move forward. So what does that tell us? It tells us none of us can be content to just show up on a Sunday morning and that be it. There's a place for that in our spiritual growth, but we all must get involved as the body of Christ. Believe me, and as we heard last week at Service Sunday, there is plenty of work and plenty of service to, to be done for the church's spiritual growth and reaching out with the gospel into our community. All of that background brings us to our passage this morning where we're going to be picking up in verse 14. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 14. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there or look this up 
on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, we, we're picking up in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. This is part of our scripture reading just a few minutes ago. Paul here is reiterating what he just said in verse 12. Just as the human body has many members and not just one kind of body part, that's the same way Christ's body is, as I just talked about the need for the various members of Christ's body to it. Paul goes deeper into his point as it pertains to Christ's body or the church in verses 15 through 17, and we read, If the foot says, Because I am not a hand... I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were, were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? This is Paul's instruction against anyone letting toxic thinking from the world spill over into how they see themselves as humans and as members of the church. Those thoughts that said in any way they weren't good enough to be of any use. Specifically in connection with the Corinthian church, this passage is sandwiched in the middle of Paul's greater discussion on spiritual gifts. While still complex parts, Hands are more complex in their dexterity than, than feet. Overall, I know there are people who can paint with their feet. But overall, hands are usually more, have more dexterity than feet. Hands are physically capable to do more things than feet can. But that obviously does not negate the crucial importance of feet, right? What are you doing? You're comparing apples to oranges. Same with ears and eyes. Obviously, while ears are complex in design and function in order to hear sound waves and then transfer those signals to the brain, eyes are a lot more complex in their design. But an eye's complexity in no way negates the vital importance of ears. They're two different body systems, optical and auditory. You're also comparing apples to oranges. And yet there were those in the Corinthian church who were doing that same absurd comparison. Those who had so-called seemingly less significant spiritual gifts thought they weren't as important or needed as those who had the more so-called miraculous gifts. Those were the gifts of understanding scripture and applying it to everyday life situations, or gifts of administration, or gifts of encouragement, or gifts of service apparently thought they weren't as crucial to the growth of the body of Christ as those who had the gifts of prophecy and miracles and healing and tongues did. Paul is saying here that line of thinking is just as absurd as comparing hands to feet or eyes to ears in design and function. Both are vitally necessary to the functioning of the body. If anyone here today or listening online later has the seemingly less uh, significant gifts of understanding and applying scriptural truths or coming alongside and encouraging people or serving others' needs or keeping things in order, are you using them? Or do you think they're not that useful? Or do you think you wouldn't be good at using them? As Paul says here, it's absurd to think that either your spiritual gifts 
or you using those spiritual gifts wouldn't be good enough for anyone. You are completely and crucially necessary to the body of Christ and to our church body. This is God's call to you to use your spiritual gifts and background and ethnicity and skill set and strengths and gifts, no matter how insignificant you might think you are or your gifts are. And in direct connection to this, don't think your past or anything about you disqualifies you from being fully involved in the growth of our church. Whose church is it? It's not my church. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church, right? That's why we're the body of Christ. It's Jesus' church. And guess what? You don't have any say in the matter of what mission he gives to you and how the Holy Spirit then equips you. Sorry to tell you that. The city of Corinth was incredibly diverse. As a major trade city, it was incredibly diverse in ethnicity, race, culture, and language, and it was diverse in socioeconomic status. There were very, very rich people living there, and there were very, very poor people living there. And it was out of that environment that the Corinthian church was born, with people from every ethnicity, race, culture, and language that existed in the Roman Empire and beyond, and with people from every socioeconomic status making it up. And so there was always the possibility and tension of discrimination based on anything and everything in the church. And so there was always the, the, the possibility uh, and tension of someone not thinking they were good enough or not righteous enough or that something or anything about them disqualified them or made them not useful to the church. Paul's words are just as true towards that as well. Just like comparing hands to feet and ears to eyes is absurd, like comparing apples to oranges, comparing yourself to anyone else or to an idea of an ideal believer is absurd, like comparing apples to oranges. You are you. God created you to be the ethnicity, race, or culture that you are. God gave and allowed your past experiences to shape you into the person that you are now. God put you into the socioeconomic status you're in, whether higher or lower, for a reason. God has given you a skill set, strengths, and gifts. And, and God has a vital place for you in the church, the body of Christ, and a crucial job for you to do. So, what is it? What is the place in the church? And what is the job that God has given to you? And what, is, what are the gifts that he's given to you to do that? And who and what has God created you to be? And what experiences has he led you through to bring you to this point? And what is he redeeming and transforming in your life to be an influence on the growth of this church? I'm not going to accept. <laughs> it's okay if you don't know. But it's not okay to stay there. Never moving or doing anything and not being of any use to the body of Christ. Investigate. Search the scriptures. Explore in prayer. Talk it over with a believing friend. 
Say, I know there's a place for me, and I know there's a job for me to do. I'm going to figure it out with God's help, and then do it. As it's the Father's will, and Him being the one actually moving and changing hearts and lives, and as it's the Son who gives the individual missions He wants each of us to be doing, and as it's the Holy Spirit who gives the spiritual gifts to empower each of us to do the Son's mission, which will accomplish the Father's will, it comes as no surprise to us that it's also completely up to God and not us as to our place and function in the body of Christ. We read that in verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. It's not up to you, and it's not up to you to withhold your spiritual gifts and, and skill sets and strengths and, and other things uh, from being used for the body of Christ. So each and every one of us has a vital place in this body and a crucial function in this body. If you don't know what it is, figure it out. Talk to God about it, talk to a believing friend about it, and figure it out. And as we talked, as we've talked about in the past, the way God made you and who you are is never a weakness and it's never a source of inferiority or debilitation. It's certainly not a reason for discrimination nor fearing discrimination in the body of Christ. We all have a place. We all have a function. We all have a mission. We all have a job. And we all have at least one spiritual gift to empower us to carry out the mission Jesus has given to each and every one of us. Since God is a miraculous God, he somehow makes all of those spiritual gifts and individual missions and jobs work together as one. So the whole body grows and moves forward as one. Let's all, as many members grow and move together as one and do just that. As we see what spiritual gifts God has given to us and what unique strengths and understandings and skill sets God has given to us, we see what individual jobs God has given for us to do and we rely on each other and work as one. And as we do that, we will witness a supernatural moving forward of our church unlike anything before. The witness of the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be magnified as a blinding light into this divided world. People in our community will catch wind of what's going on here and want to become a part of it. The proof of the life-changing power of the gospel will be backed up by the unity of the life-changing power of the gospel. So let us see our body as one, with one purpose and one mission and one vision. And let us live that view out practically, physically, and usefully by looking at how God has blessed us and who we are, what gifts he's given to us, and what he wants us to do. And let us see what powerful things he will do in, through, and with our church as one in our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words.
Paul's words to the Corinthian church and your words to us today. I pray that we would all, we, we would all go home after, after our, our uh, potluck luncheon and really have a heart-to-heart -heart with you and see what, what have you given me? How have you gifted me? What life experiences and strengths and skill sets have you given to me? And how can I use those to help strengthen and grow this church as the body of Christ? I pray that we would all move forward, uh, really take this to heart, and, and grow together as one. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.